0: So, Alia and Shivani, welcome to this episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. Hello. Hello. hi. I think I wanted to start just by saying to everybody that I know Alia and Shivani because they were students of um, the school I used to teach in and um, they've come along today to talk to us about their education at school and also about what they're doing now and i'm hoping to get some insights about what they think might happen in education in the next five years because we've been discussing that with head teachers and teachers who are on the podcast so this is to get a student former student perspective so before we go any further um alia could you just start and um certainly Shivani, if you could join afterwards could you both give us a brief description about your current studies at university
1: so i've just finished my first term at oxford studying english language and literature and before that i took a levels in maths further maths english and french and so we've been studying you know old english uh, victorian literature and literary theory and just all stuff that i've been really interested in and outside of kind of my studies i do a lot of poetry so I was Birmingham Young Poet Laureate 2018 to 2020 and um, I've been involved since with lots of poetry stuff so I performed at COP26 last month which was very (laughs) cool and I tried to kind of keep up with my poetry alongside my studies as well.
0: Brilliant and
2: Shivani? Hi yeah I'm also a first year studying at Oxford. My degree is law with a year abroad in third year to France which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I did the same A-levels as Ali actually, Further Maths, Maths, English, French and um, I think yeah obviously French is the one that's clearly carried forward but uh, I'll talk about it later I guess but I feel that doing for Maths, Further Maths, English has also helped me out um, for law. Uh, I'm having a good time at Oxford to be honest. I think doing law is a bit different to doing English because it's like we've never really done it before, it's new to everybody but it's been a really good chance to learn, um, learn lots of new things, learn from everyone else around me really and figure out
0: where I can go next. Can I ask you one additional question here from this? And Shivani, if you, if you want to go first, is university really different from your studies at, at school for A-level? <laughs> uh,
2: yes, absolutely, <laughs> in my case. I think there's really like three different components that distinguish it for me. I think, first of all, time management in university becomes... Uh, difficult in a completely different way than A-levels were because I think at A-level, even with your free periods, you have this structure that's built into your day. You know, you wake up at 7.30, you get to school, you have this whole day planned out. While at uni, I think for me, and I assume Alia as well, we don't have that many contact hours per week. Uh, I only see my tutors for about two, three hours max and all my lectures are online. So it is quite difficult to be really disciplined with yourself when there's so much else going on. Uh, The second thing is that The workload is a lot more intense than A-levels. I think that's a given. Anyone going to uni would probably expect this. But at the same time, uh, in some ways, I feel that the academic pressure is somehow a little better at uni because I think everyone is just really, really into their subject. It's not like you have to get this maths homework out of the way so you can focus on what you really enjoy. Um, It's been really nice to just hone in on something I enjoy. I don't know, that's not a way of working that works for everyone, but it's something that I've been looking forward to. And then lastly, I think the amount of self-teaching you have at uni is quite unique. So say at uh, A-level, when you have a history textbook that you can sort of look at, and it gives you a bit of guidance as to what you want to write in your essay, for law at least, um, it's been pretty much all primary sources for me that I've been having a look at. And the way that the system works, um, for my course at Oxford at least, is that Uh, We teach ourselves the work for the week, write an essay, go through the essay with the tutor. And in some ways that's nice because it means you don't waste time in your um, tutorials talking about things that are common knowledge. But on the other hand, I guess sometimes it can be difficult to get your
0: bearings in the first few weeks. Okay. Alia, did you add anything to add to that? I think Shiv
1: covered kind of the main thing. I think for me, it's that lack of structure, I guess. And like Shiv, I have very, it seems like very few contact hours. I think at A level or so, we used to kind of, Having your teachers kind of constantly not only in lessons but also feedback and just kind of getting to t- talk to them and not just about the subject, but just about other things as well. Whereas at uni, there really isn't that. You kind of you don't, yes, I have very few contact hours and you do a lot of the learning and the reading and the thinking yourself, which I do miss from A-level. Um and yeah, I think it's just about structuring your day, which when you've got a timetable, you kind of got the discipline for you, whereas when you're at union there's not really there's no reason to be up out of bed at a decent time you kind of you really have to kind of have a lot of will to do that yourself um but I think also just in terms of how you learn subjects there is I mean I suppose there is but there isn't really a solid kind of syllabus it's completely on the whims of your tutor so someone in a different college will look at different texts and different fields in a completely different way that I will so for example my tutor really likes American literature so most of the books that I've been looking at have been American literature so there's not lot of kind of a consistent uh, specification across the uni for courses which is very different to a level where you're kind of rigidly following the specification which in a way it's nice to have that freedom um but then like she said you know there's not a textbook that you can just look at and revise um but i am enjoying it but it is there is a lot to kind of get used to
0: yeah i mean maybe we can come on to that later when um you know we can maybe talk about if you think that schools need to do anything differently um particularly in terms of maybe preparing you for for university or maybe not maybe they're just different um okay so um just going back now and thinking about school and this episode is uh, about how your education has really helped you to pursue your dreams and achieve success um how has your education allowed you to do that alia so i
1: think obviously when we think of education we think of stuff in the lessons and the stuff that you learned to kind of help pass your exams and and I think I'm not gonna I am not going i do not want to kind of underestimate how important that is I think all of that without that I wouldn't be where I am today and that's kind of my favorite bit of school like the learning but I think in terms of stuff that I can remember that's actually helped me today a lot of it is outside the classroom or outside the lesson so like I said before like chatting with teachers about stuff off the specification and just being able to really kind of follow your interests in that sense and you know when they like giving book recommendations or lending books and things like that. Um, and also, even kind of in the common room, just chatting with different people. I think the main thing that I've taken away from school is kind of it sounds, it doesn't sound very academic, but it's just an increased confidence in myself and talking to other people. I think that's the main thing that's helped me with uni is being able to kind of start a conversation with someone that I've never spoken to before. And I think that confidence, it might not seem linked to learning, but when it comes to things like seminars, having the confidence to kind of speak up and say my point has been massive because it's mean that I've been able to kind of engage more with the learning.
0: Um, you think think it shaped you to in order to do that do you yes for sure I think just I mean
1: school not only school specific like not only our school specifically I think in any sort of school setting with a common room you will learn to talk to new people but I think also I know school talks a lot about kind of extracurricular and clubs so I think they definitely really helped as well so with the spoken word club that really helped me to kind of practice talking to new people and performing and with my poetry as well so I think the stuff in the lessons and in the classroom is fascinating and is really important, but it's also everything else around it.
2: Yeah. Shivani. Yeah, so a lot of what Alia said applies to me as well. Um, in terms of achieving success, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know, I think I'm really happy to be where I am right now, but I also wouldn't say that I've achieved um, what my end goal is at the moment. You know, no. like being in uni right now is great. I'm really happy where I am. But at the end of the day, I think it is still sort of a means of more education, more learning to kind of get to an even bigger end. And things that have helped me in that, aside from all of the social contact that Alia has uh, talked about, I think having the opportunity for independent learning in schools was really valuable. So, for example, I did my EPQ uh, at A-level, and I thought the EPQ was probably one of the most useful things uh, academically that could have prepared me for uni, because... If you think about your A-levels themselves, they're in lessons, they're very structured for you. You have a syllabus you can check. That's not really there for the EPQ, for example, or like any other kind of independent project you do, whether that's uh, writing for the school newspaper, organising, like debating club or something, which is something that I did. And I think all of these independent applications of uh, the skills you learn in lessons are really useful for helping you structure in your mind how you want to carry things out. And that's the skill that has been really useful for me in uh,
0: university at the moment. And what do you remember most fondly about school? And it can be from when you were five years old to when you were 18 years old. Shivani, do you want to do that?
2: Uh, aside from, you know, my friends and like the... The experience of just being around people that you're familiar with. I think in terms of school itself, I really miss uh, learning lots of different things in lots of different disciplines. Because right now at uni, I'm quite lucky that my friend group is, we do a bunch of things and a few of them do STEM, like maths, philosophy, uh, physics, that kind of thing. And it is nice that everyone specialised, but at the same time, when I see them sort of discussing like differential equations or something, I just think inside, ah, oh, you know, I could do that a year ago. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, I do miss being able to have a cross-disciplinary, uh, approach to education. I think in the period after GCSEs, um, I suppose, A-levels as well, when I was learning so many different things, that's why I chose STEM subjects as well as the language and the humanity, uh, I think I felt a bit more well-rounded at that point, but obviously there are also perks to specialising. I feel now I have a way more thorough grasp of law than I did for any of my other subjects, so it balances out. I just think that everyone should really try and make the most of all of the interdisciplinary opportunities that they have at school, uh, whether that's in lessons or taking a chance on maybe an area of study that you haven't really looked into before. And I think you can do that alongside your degree, even at uni, if you take the time to look out for podcasts or uh, magazines, this kind of thing.
1: Alia? I think mine is very similar. I think the reason I think, I mean, we both took a very wide set of A-levels. Whenever I mentioned it, everyone's like, oh, that's an interesting mix. And I think because we both really enjoyed having that breadth of essays, language and maths. And so I do definitely miss, you know, when you when you spend hours reading a very complicated article or book, you do miss just doing some maths questions sometimes. Um, But I think I really miss lessons, especially A-level lessons where everyone, you know, most people really enjoy the subject and you've got the teacher to kind of ask questions and you can kind of just really explore. I just really miss that kind of camaraderie, I feel like that you have with lessons. And of course, the common room and yeah, I think this and the clubs, I think there's so much that I miss from school, especially having had quite an intense term at uni already. It makes it kind of more clear. But yeah, I do miss the breadth of school and the social aspects and the teachers. I think the main thing I think you can't have a school without teachers. And I think just having their kind of expertise to kind of talk to at any point I do really miss. For
0: one brief moment. I thought Alia that you were going to say you remembered your history GCSE (laughs) lessons so fondly and there's some giggling there because I used to teach Alia GCSE history, IGCSE history and I'm just devastated that you didn't mention me.
1: (laughs) I thought it would just be obvious, I I thought I didn't just say it.
0: (laughs) Right, Um, that's really, you know, they're they're interesting points that you're raising there about that interdisciplinary um, approach. Now, I want to cast our minds forward, crystal ball-gazing. Within the next five years, do you think that there will be any changes in schools? Do they need to make any changes or not, and and why? Um, Ah I don't know if you want to go first. But I
1: think looking back to the past couple of years that we've had, I think schools have already had to adapt pretty massively with the whole online learning thing. And so I think having that I think having that as an option, I think will be I think technology and things like that will be used more. Whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure because I think one thing over lockdown is that it's not kind of a level playing field and it's not accessible to everyone, but I think that might be an option. And I think in terms of subjects offered, whether schools are going to kind of focus on having more G- G- GCSEs and different types of GCSEs um, and different subjects, or if they're going to choose to kind of specialise and focus on a few. I'm not really sure. I don't know which is best, to be honest. And I think the thing that underpins all of this, for me, the thing that I'm most interested in is whether that is accessible to every school. Because I think it's, it's all right talking about this for a certain type of school, but whether that's going to be applicable to every school in the country is really going to vary. So I think it's interesting to think about the future of learning though. I think there will be a lot more online stuff. Because um, I remember when we were at school, I remember you really championed doing these kind of online courses outside of the subject. Yeah. And so whether that will be more of a thing as well of kind of focusing on stuff outside of the curriculum and yeah. kind of super
2: curricular stuff perhaps. Yeah. Shivani. Yeah, um, I agree with everything Alia said about digital learning. I think COVID showed us that there are definitely perks um, to having a good online base but yeah again accessibility is an issue i think in terms of the more fundamental curriculum aspects i think we can maybe see a move away from super standardized testing coming up because if we think back to um you know the whole faff with predicted grades and how you're going to extrapolate from data that was all a bit much i think it was it's, it's difficult because at the end of the day like how talented a student is how they're going to perform in their end of year exams. You can't really measure that by just looking at a set of data or numbers on how they've done before. That's not we need a more holistic approach. And I guess one way that schools might move towards that is by having more um independent projects, having things like uh, coursework. I think a lot of schools have moved away from coursework, but I think in some ways that is a bit of a shame because, for example, we had our English coursework and I remember and French as well, and I remember both those subjects. It was it was just really nice to get to explore something that you're passionate about and you're not directly being measured against other people. I think maybe a holistic approach to education um, that includes uh, independent learning like that as well would be a really good foundation for university like I talked about a bit earlier with the EPQ. Um, At the end of the day students should really like know that in the future they're not going to be ticking off uh, subjects from a list or a syllabus, it is about um, your original thought, your original initiative to get things done. And I think it would be really nice if schools would recognise that and incorporate
0: some more of that independent free thinking into your uh, curriculum. Uh, Some of my guests have been talking, teachers have been talking about reforming um, the education system, particularly the examination system. And there's a real push amongst some teachers and organisations and they want to see a reduction in GCSEs or maybe the replacement of GCSEs. less time spent focusing on assessment um, they're worried about the mental health impact of so many assessments for young people um you've just been through all of that um what how how have you felt about it how how did you cope and um as, as two young people who've just taken a levels and gcse's what would you say to any teachers or organizations that are thinking of introducing reform i think Sorry,
1: if I think back to my GCSE summer, I'm sure Shiv is similar, but I think I remember having like something like 22 exams at least in quite a short time period, and A-levels was not much better. And I think that there is so much pressure placed on those couple of months at the end of two years or whatever. And you know, it's a really it's a very on the day kind of thing. But then when you look at when I think we've seen two examples. So we had a very intense GCSE summer, and you know, we've had our a levels, but we also had kind of cancelled exams which weren't really which in itself is a whole thing cuz they weren't really cancelled and they were very different depending on different schools and stuff so i think fewer fewer exams would be better because i think you can just condense i don't i don't think you need as much but then it's a balance because you can say condense the exams and not have as many just you know condense the content or condense how many what you're examined on but then at the same time it's if you don't perform as well on the day you want more chances so i think it's a really tricky question but i think more consideration of people's mental health needs to be taken into consideration because i think it's all just prioritizing grades and future and not actually thinking about how they feel at that moment because it's a very very stressful time
2: Mm -hmm. i remember during uh gcse's i think it was english maybe it was um i can't remember which teacher mr holland maybe who didn't give us grades for our essays and at the time i remember thinking this is the most frustrating thing ever why are we not getting numerical marks this is what we're going to need for the exams when actually I think one way that teachers could maybe make that whole transition to assessments a bit more bearable is to really focus on the idea of learning as this journey. So say you're getting like 60-70% in your essays, that's not really your final goal, it's not even reflective necessarily of where you are as a person, it's just what this one essay, what this one problem sheet was like for you that week, you know. I think having... Um, an approach that really tells students that there is always room to move up if you do this, 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 and having an emphasis on improvement and how to improve rather than just your numbers and suggesting that your numbers are indicative of how well you're doing. Because at the end of the day, you can can be getting 100% on every single history essay that you do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're um, fully, you're doing the best that you can be in that subject or that your essays are perfect, you know. Um, And I think that really... Focusing away from numbers as an indication of how good you are, and more towards uh, really the substantive content of your work, is important to make sure that people preserve that kind of joy of learning and the desire to improve themselves, even once you've left the school situation and you're no longer getting graded like that.
0: You know, you two should go and talk to the Times Education Commission mm-hmm. and go and talk to the government about you know your experience of exams and how how you could make some really meaningful as you say in substantive changes okay so we're almost at the end of our conversation and what i want to do is play a short recording made by alia of the poem that she performed at cop 26 could you just tell us a little bit about this poem alia
1: so it was written for a, a challenge run by the Young poets network which is part of the poetry society and it was talking about kind of climate change in your local area. And at that point, I think it was mentioned that you might perform at COP26, but it was very kind of unsure. But um, I was commended in the challenge, and that's why I was able to actually travel up to Glasgow and form it there. And it's talking about kind of the role of climate change in our in a local area, but not talking about kind of oil spills and you know plastic waste, but on a very kind of a small level. And in a way, it's kind of microcosm of how the global kind of global situation is and how we react to climate change uh, internationally, I guess. It's called Walking to the Train Station. One day, you will notice the bluebird asthma pump, hear the birdsong vapour slice through grey fumes, and soothe the inflamed tarmac of these wheezing streets. It hides in the tree, modest until it decides to sing. Its plastic sapphire beak harmonises with the white noise of your earphones, only one side of which still works. It dispels the grey haze that exhausts, but today its turbine wings clamour for your attention. You step over the broken glass that shimmers beneath feet, the drunk confetti outside the pub from last night, but you miss the magpie sorting through the shards clinking them into different recycling bins and scene. You see the mayonnaise outline of the discarded chips. Ketchup packet exploded onto the pavement crime scene. But not the goldfinch that wears her hives with pride. She picks up the crisp packets from grass verges before they reach the polluted depths of a local puddle. You gaze across these pools of mercury. And finally notice the world looking back. Upside down and inside out, it pleads with you. Asks you to take care of these streets you cross. Your allotment in the garden of this unruly world. But you don't listen. Distracted by the sound of an engine fading
0: further away. You have missed your train too. (laughs) Thanks, Alia. Really impressive. Just love that. Can I just say to both of you, it's been wonderful talking to you on today's programme. But in about five years time, let's have another um, podcast (laughs) recording and and see what you've both got up to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast with me, your host, Susan Pallister, and today's very special guests, Shivani Aaron and Alia Begum.